it is time for our monthly check-in with Springfield Mayor Jim Langfelder. Talk to the mayor. We're not going to spend a lot of time with the niceties this afternoon because we have just a lot to discuss with Mayor Jim Langfelder. Mayor, I will say welcome and thank you as always for being here with us. Great to have you in the studio. And hang on a second. Okay, now we can hear you. Good. All right. So, uh, Mayor, let's start right now with a, uh, a looming showdown between you and the city council. Alderman voted a couple of weeks back to limit your independent spending authority, the money you can spend without city council approval. It had been $50,000. It is still $50,000 because you vetoed the ordinance that would knock it down to $10,000. Alderman will get a chance to override you in a couple of weeks. Um, walk us through this. Why do you think uh, a majority of the city council has targeted your spending, and do you think you're going to be able to uh, to make that veto stick? Well, uh, first, I want to reassure everybody there's not a mad rush to get a lot of contracts approved. Uh, where it came from was in 2018. Alderman Hanauer brought it forward. At that time, uh, you know, we went two years uh, without a state budget, over two years, and we were uh, having tough financial times. That's when I raised some taxes, and uh, so that ordinance came about, but they held it at that point in time, and that's typically what you would do. And so fast forward to today, and we're in stronger financial health coming out of a pandemic, didn't furlough anybody, lay anybody off, tightened our belts, uh, trimmed probably $2 million out of our budget, and uh, we're good for judiciary uh, you know, stewards. And I know people want to make it the alderman versus the mayor, and that's not it. It's our departments. I had my directors tell me you have to veto that because it impacts how they serve the public. And that's what we're here to do. So I'll just give you a couple examples real quick. One is um, with regards to ramps. We provide dollars for ramps, and those are all over $10,000 uh, for people to access their house. Uh, oh, disability, disability ramps. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, you know, home repairs, things of that nature. But the most one, uh, uh, glaring one recently was with regards to ShotSpotter Connect. That's the next step of ShotSpotter where it's uh, data analytics, and that's around a $45,000 contract. If uh, it had to go before council, uh, that would mean that would be implemented in the fall as opposed to in the summer. Well, the summer is where you have... A lot of, uh, hopefully this year we don't have that experience, but a lot of the gunfire happens in the summertime. So those are some of the ways, but it would hamper the ability of our departments to better serve the public and slow things down immensely. If the veto does stand, and originally six aldermen voted mm -hmm. to limit your spending, there would have to be seven aldermen to vote to override you and keep that uh, reduction in spending authority in place. If it stands, do you plan... Any change in your approach to spending? A majority of the city council has said, we've got some concerns here. Are you going to mo modify anything? Well, I think uh, where this comes from is, uh, you know, the NAACP expenditure, where I had to make that tough decision during the pandemic. Uh, they're trying to have their back-in-school, stay-in-school program at a new location. Uh, so I backed that. Uh, it was backed by the Economic Development Commission, went to the council. They voted it down. It was about $150,000. Well, Teresa Haley called me and said, you know, in order for us to actually provide those classes, uh, we need heating. You know, they didn't have a heating heat in the facility. So that was $50,000 uh, or under that. So I approved that. And that's one part. The other part with, uh, you know, with the exodus of economic development director, I think they, uh, you know, didn't like that very much. And so, uh, you know, so that is another sidebar above this. But really, uh, with this, you know, I appreciate Alderman Williams, Alderman Mc 
minimum, uh, Alderman Gregory and Alderman Fulgenzi, understanding the operations of the city. And hopefully the others do, too, and realize the importance of moving this direction, because we do provide monthly reports that shows all the expenditures on those contracts. I even offered in an email, I said, you know, if you want more information, we can provide it. Uh, you know, it's as transparent as you can be. Uh, but, you know, in tough times uh, that were way before us, uh, you know, there's grave deficits where they allowed $100,000 spending limits, things of that nature. So it's kind of a head-scratcher why it's coming now uh, when we have been good financial stewards, turn things around and moving in the right direction and trying to serve the public as best as we can. Let's move now to uh, the prospect of a casino for Springfield. You put mm-hmm. forward a resolution asking aldermen to declare their support for a casino. So just in case this comes up before the legislature again, they'll know that we're interested. You did this a couple of years ago, late in the legislative session. Uh, it ultimately died on the vine. Uh, what's different this time? It's still pretty late in the legislative session. Uh, do you expect the aldermen to get behind this? And, and is there some actual concrete possibility out there of bringing a casino, a casino to Springfield. Well, if the state's going to issue licenses, I don't think they, they're going to do so this session, but they are looking at the gaming of uh, fees associated with that. So there's anytime they look at that, there's a uh, talk or scuttle that, you know, that could be a possibility. So just in case, you know, we want to re-enter this resolution. And basically it says if the state will allow additional licenses or maybe someone's not uh, going to uh, go forward with theirs, if there's that opportunity, we'd like that awarded to Springfield. And uh, essentially it, it states that it'd be downtown helping economic development. The logical place would help with the uh, expansion of the convention center, moving in that direction, especially with the uh, intermodal hub that's happening with the county. And so there's a lot of opportunity, but we just want that option. Give us the option to uh, decide for ourselves if we want to exercise it. The one caveat is I know people are you know concerned about the video gaming, how it would impact restaurants and other entities. Uh, I'm all for board games and limiting uh, you know the number of video gaming that you want more board games there, the ability to have sports betting, things of that nature moving that direction, not necessarily with the heavy onslaught of video gaming. So in a casino, you wouldn't have as many of the video slot machines. you'd have more blackjack tables, right. craps, things like that, actually dealing poker, but not so much the video machines. Correct. And but- that, that way you can control things better and uh, you know uh, focus those amenities uh, and you can do that through an agreement. But you also have expressed interest in limiting the number of video gaming establishments in town, too. We had an ordinance that would have been up for a vote this week, ultimately withdrawn, that would have stopped new liquor establishments from having gaming licenses. Alderman Redpath apparently belatedly discovered that that would be anti-competitive and not really fair to some establishments when older establishments get to have it. What's the problem with just letting the market decide? If we have too many of these machines, some of these places will just shut down. I mean, so why can't we just let the market decide what the market will bear? Well, when the legislation first passed, it was to uh, help restaurants, things of that nature. Well, now people are getting into the video gaming business as opposed to getting in the restaurant business. They want to get into uh, video gaming, then open up a restaurant. It's kind of reversed. But what's happened recently, we've had liquor stores wanting the license. We've had, uh, you know, barbershops or nail salons. And so it's really, uh, you know, taken a life of its own. And so it really diminishes. All you're doing is splitting up the pie that much more, and it's getting away from the original intent of the state legislation. But with regards to that, I think we have a plethora of video gaming. I'm for uh, the original um, legislation that we were trying to pass where it would limit uh, video gaming as our 
put a cap on it as we move forward. But what you're describing is capitalism. I mean, somebody right. somebody's mm-hmm. making money on something, so somebody else says, I want to compete with that. I want to try to make money there, too, and maybe I can do a better job or give people something else that they want. Why shouldn't they have the opportunity to do that? Why is it okay for a restaurant to get that money, but not a barber shop or a nail salon or a liquor store or whatever? Well, this is for... This is my own opinion. This is uh, entertainment for 21 years of age and older. Uh, I always thought that it should just been for bars, period. That's it. You know, not where you go and take your family and your young ones into the restaurant and everywhere else. And, you know, and then you uh, are introducing it to them at a younger age, even though they can't play it. It's around them. And I just feel it's 21 years of age and older for entertainment and it should stay that way. But the original intent was geared towards liquor establishments. Um, mainly that would be the restaurants with the liquor license as well as the bars. And then it kind of went into these parlors. And then, so we had to restrict the parlors, uh, because it was like a runaway train. And so we're almost trying to get the horses back in the barn, so to speak. Um, and it's just, uh, taken on a life of its own and uh, you know that's uh, so from that standpoint i think we've had uh, plenty of entities out there and we should uh, limit it as we move forward springfield mayor jim langfelder is here with us mayor you mentioned a moment ago about shot spotter and the new shot spotter connect to uh, try to get more data out of this but there's a report out this week that questions the accuracy of shot spotter saying that it uh, it's recording a lot of things that aren't actually gunshots or we never know for sure if it really is gunshots it's sending officers this is out of chicago they looked right. at this sending officers on a wild goose chase a, a lot of the time we have requested some data here locally and we've gotten uh, data on uh, a a number of different things that have been recorded as gunshots but how that actually correlates to uh, arrests and the result of police calls etc that material still being pulled together but i know you're talking about a a fairly expensive uh, expansion of this in terms of the the data and the utility of it all so uh how can we be sure that it's worth it how can we be sure that we are actually getting useful information and that it's it's going to pay dividends for the amount of money we're putting into it. Yeah, the whole intent of the shot spotter is to respond. Um, cities that have put that in place, uh, they had recorded uh, only 15% of the gunshots were being called in. And uh, once we implemented that, we thought ours would be about half, 50%, but it's been uh, around the same percentage. But the whole intent is to, one, Uh, respond as quickly as possible for our police force and then the other is give the police officers information as they go into a dangerous situation because it can tell you if there's multiple weapons being fired or uh, distinguish uh, you know maybe the type uh, to a certain degree Uh, so it does provide that information uh, but there has been incidents where you know it might lead to evidence gathering uh, um, with regards to Uh, that particular case or future case the other thing is with regards to if there's anybody god forbid being shot um, you know it just gives you that opportunity and uh, chief winslow can give you specific examples how it has benefited Uh, but with regards to the uh, shot spot or connect it's about forty five thousand dollars with regards to that and that will not only look at the data analytics associated with the shots being fired but also take a look at other police reports with regards to burglaries and other activities and then it uh, creates a uh, you know the 
data analytics associated with all those incidents, and uh, so we can better deploy our police force uh, where appropriate. And so that's where that benefit would come into play. Do we need to pay ShotSpotter to be able to look at burglary reports and things and figure out where more patrols and more police responses <laughs> needed? Well, not, well, if you have a neighborhood being hit, you know, you know, we do uh, respond accordingly. But it goes deeper than that. It does take a look at, uh, you know, all the uh, over a set period of time, all the information and, uh, you know, technology is can be computed a lot faster than going through it, you know, individually uh, you, through manual techniques. So they do have the technology that uh, provides that as a faster response than what we would be able to do ourselves. One of the things that this report from the MacArthur Foundation says is that uh, by co- continually sending police into areas, it's setting the stage for confrontations with people who may not be involved in any of this, but they just happen to be on the scene. Uh, but police go in thinking they're uh, a suspect, thinking maybe they're armed, and it, it can lead to potentially dangerous situations. Is there any concern about that, that, again, these multiple reports, and as I said, we haven't seen the data, maybe you've seen more of it, about how the shot spotter notification correlates to actual shots fired, actual crimes, but is there any concern that police are going into situations and winding up uh, confronting people that haven't done anything? Well, anytime uh, police have to respond to a gun violence situation or any type of domestic violence, especially, uh, that is always a cause for concern, not only for individuals, uh, you know, within our community, but the officers themselves. So that, and to answer your question, yes, that's always a concern. Uh, When they do respond, I think that's the importance of what Chief Winslow has always, um, you know, um, touched upon is the importance of community engagement as much as possible and that trust. And that's why we've seen the uptick in arrests associated with the, the gun violence that's happening. Uh, we've had, I think, over 50 individuals arrested, over uh, 60 guns uh, recovered. And that's due to the partnership with the community and the police department, all of us working together. So uh, it does pay dividends. But the other side of it is the training. I think that's where you really Uh, help mitigate those concerns is the training and the de-escalation, understanding uh, how to handle a situation when you go in and what the objective is, and that is to keep everybody safe. Gosh, so much to talk about. And, Mayor, uh, we are going to turn our attention now to uh, the city's relationship with several other entities. I want to start real briefly with uh, Downtown Springfield Inc. DSI. News yesterday that Lisa Clemens-Stott is uh, stepping down at the end of the month as uh, the executive director. Uh, some of what I've been seeing on social media in response to this is people uh, suggesting there's been some tension between the city and DSI over things like the Adams Family Patio. Of course, last year they uh, uh, managed to uh, to block off that uh, section of uh, Adams Street between uh, 5th and, uh, and 3rd Street to a- allow uh, the businesses up there to set up tents and have people just there in the street all the time. Uh, that's going to be scaled back some this year, I, I guess. Uh, has there been some some tension, some controversy between the city and, and DSI? Is there any any connection here with all that? No, I think that's a shell game with the uh, group that's putting that out there. Actually, if uh, people remember Lisa Clement-Stott, I hired her through as a planner for economic development. She's lured her way through DSI, so we've always had a great working relationship, sharing the passion for downtown. Actually, 
working towards the parklets this year, um, uh, landscaping around downtown as well as lighting. So she's done uh, great work. I think the um, and you could speak to her about the reasons for that. But we did have a meeting uh, with regards to the patio. It was supposed to coincide with the farmers market. It uh, opened up uh, prematurely, and uh, with regards to that, um, but there was uh, some concern brought up uh, with the some of the businesses that were to the west. And so after listening to their concerns and, you know, I decided, made that tough decision that uh, will allow you to uh, stay closed until the parklets are in place. But once the parklets are in place, let's open it up and uh, see how it works. And at that point in time, you can actually uh, see the data from the businesses on the west side, see how that did impact their business. Did business go up uh, or did it uh, decrease or whatever the case may be? So I think uh, it'll work. And what we want is a consistent look through downtown and make it walkable through all aspects of downtown. And uh, I think it will work out. It's just, um, you know, people are, uh, you know, I think everybody's frustrated uh, coming out of the pandemic and how do we, can we move together forward? Uh, how can we move forward together and, uh, you know, make downtown what it can be? So so what's going to be allowed then for the Adams Family patio? Mm-hmm. Are they going to get to uh, to have that street blocked off on weekends? Did I remember that correctly? Well, that's or? what they wanted originally all okay. through the summer. And some of the retailers didn't understand that. They okay. thought, oh, it's uh, just temporarily. But uh, regardless, what we came up with is they would be closed all the Sundays, you know, so they can have that uh, bruisey brunch. That continues. Uh, they will be closed until the parklets are in place. And when you say they'll be closed, I mean that, that street will be blocked yeah, off to, to Fridays, vehicle traffic. Friday, Saturday, and Okay. Sunday, probably for uh, May. I, hopefully, we get the parklets out by then. Um, and then, uh, but when that does, that's when it would reopen. But uh, Sundays throughout the whole summer until October, okay. that's when they would be allowed to close. All right. Let's turn our attention now to Capital Township. We've had competing mm-hmm. legislation. Representative Butler uh, wanting uh, something that could potentially allow the township to merge with Sangamon County. Now, Senator Turner with her own bill, which is advancing, that would, in effect, uh, have a fully elected slate of Capital Township officials. You all along wanted to have the township merged with the city. Is that that idea dead now, or wh- where does this all stand, and what where's it going from here? Well, uh, uh, with regards to all the women Turners, it mirrors uh, what uh, the Senator stru- Turner. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. I said all the women, didn't I? <laughs> going back to old, the past, old habits yeah, die sen- hard. Yeah, Senator Tur- Turner. Uh, that was uh, she's bringing that legislation to kind of mirror what other townships how they're structured. So that's understandable. I think Senator Menar wanted to take that forward. Really, with regards to uh, Representative Butler's legislation, I had spoken to him about this previously, or representatives previously about this. Uh, with cities, the reason they merge into the cities is because of coterminous. Uh, boundaries. Uh, what's happened, like when we annexed in the lake properties, there's a loop, loophole in the legislation where the township, uh, in this case Woodside, they could vote to retain those uh, parcels of property instead of going to Capital Township. And so now you don't have clear coterminous uh, uh relationship with capital, but they're all city residents. They'd be better represented with our city council members. So I had proposed uh, what should happen, my opinion, at the legislature is that all the parcels within municipalities, you know, of township parcels, those should be probably eliminated. You figure out what the uh, lie heap, you know, that's usually what the funds are used for, what that amount is, and then you uh, calculate that out as well as any delivery of those services. And then the uh, rest of it could be rebated back to the property owners, but you would dissolve the uh, parcels of townships within a municipality like Springfield.
but with uh, Senator Turner's bill that would create a full slate of mm-hmm. Capital Township offices independently elected, no longer being held by the countywide office holders, uh, if if that passes, does that mean that your your wish on this, whether for Springfield alone or for any township inside a municipality is is that idea just dead uh well i would have to take a look at it uh we'd still be able to um, unless they change the previous legislation how a township can be dissolved currently is that it goes to the municipality and it would take a referendum to do so and the vote of the capital township board and so that's with any township throughout the, well, the state capital of township board's never going along with that <laughs> that's correct so anyway uh you know but what if they did you know that's the only way you can dissolve it right now so as we move forward it would take uh either that happening or legislate uh, other legislation to make it happen do you favor senator turner's bill then since at this point what you're talking about really can't happen uh do you favor her bill to have those township officials independently elected then well uh with regards to that, I guess uh, that's a good question. I would uh, I haven't read the bill in its entirety. I think I would have to take a look at it. But it does make sense from the standpoint that the structure of the township government would mirror all the other townships instead of being this carved out special piece of legislation that's happened previously. Uh, I want to turn to the airport authority. We've talked about this before. Uh, several weeks ago, the minutes of a recent airport authority board meeting said that a board member had resigned his position. And according to the minutes, it was uh, stated that uh, this member uh, resigned because he was fed up with being, quote, harassed and lied to by the Langfelder administration. This was an individual who had said he had a conflict of interest and therefore mm-hmm. did not wish to vote on uh, Chairman Valla, who you would like to see replaced as the uh, airport authority board chairman. Uh, and so this is a, a board member that uh, needed mm-hmm. a certificate uh, of authorization from the city to continue in his post, and you've now denied that. And uh, so uh, he has resigned his seat. What, what's going, why are they saying that he was harassed and lied to by the Langfelder administration? What contact have you had with uh, Mr. Meyer, the former board member? Yeah, I think the only contact, I'm, I'm glad they have detailed minutes uh, because what I've read previously wasn't very detailed, and that's one of the concerns, and I think that's why we need one of the reasons to go a new direction with regards to the Airport Authority Board. And uh, Frank Valle, I had this conversation with him. You know, I've served on boards. Uh, usually your chairman is not for life. But in this case, it seems like it is for life. And, uh, you know, 14 years now, something like that. Yeah, or 20 years, something like that. Okay. So uh, usually they just serve, you know, four turn or four years or something of that nature. And then you continue on and work uh, towards the betterment of the airport authority. But in this case, uh, that's, you know, what they have done is when I asked Mike Houston to, you know, if he'd be interested, he said yes. And, uh, you know, so I did call up at that point in time my the ones I had appointed, uh, in this case, the individual. And he said, oh, yes, you know, uh, yeah, I'll I'll support Mike Houston. Well, when he gets to the meeting, uh, all of a sudden now they have a conflict. They never told that to anybody. So that is of concern when you have a uh, conflict of interest in the appointment of the chairman of the board. So you wonder what the conflict is, what's the special relationship happening. And so I just told him that uh, I wouldn't be uh, reappointing him when that come dime comes up. So as far as harassment, that was basically it. Now, who should, who was harassed was my sister-in-law, Nancy Bear. 
she was very harassed. She's a professional individual, uh, had a long tenured career with uh, uh, Marine Bank, Bank One, J.P. Morgan, well-respected in the banking industry, um, went out there as the auditor, and of course, they played the shenanigans of changing the bylaws and doing all this uh, things, and uh, that's really concerning when you have a checks and balance in place, and they talked about, oh, we're she's being paid. It was like $100 or whatever it is. That didn't really matter. But what they did do after the fact, and I had sent a correspondence to all the board members, is don't approve any contracts since we're in a um, tough financial situation where the airport's essentially shut down. Uh, and they went ahead and approved uh, contracts for employees, things of that nature, and gave them a w- real healthy uh, increase. So, that all of that is concerning. And uh, with my in this case, my sister-in-law, Nancy Bear, she ended up stepping down because she said it is a uh, not a good situation uh, when you're trying to do good and do what's right. She was definitely harassed or felt that way, and uh, that's totally uncalled for because we're all here to benefit our regional airport, uh, Capital Airport, Abraham Lincoln Capital Airport, and the whole push should be for domestic flights. Anybody can tell you uh, they fly out of other areas because we don't have the flights leaving Springfield, and we need to make that happen. And so we should take a hard look at what the services we're rendering out there and how uh, we can move forward in a positive manner and not get caught up in these false accusations on what they had said and uh, move forward productively. So when will you name a replacement for the individual who resigned? Uh, that will probably be coming next month. And or are, I guess it would be this month, May. Are, are you looking for someone who will vote to replace Mr. Valla as the chair? Well, I'm not gonna. I'm going to appoint uh, someone that uh, probably uh, diversity with regards to that. And let's be uh, perfectly frank with regards to this is uh, I did appoint, I brought professionalism to the Airport Authority Board. That's why I appointed Mike Houston, who was a you know Republican, former mayor. We ran against each other. I knew the value that he has, uh, knowing our uh, community. I uh, uh, selected uh, Michael Myers. Uh, he was from 183rd. Uh, the reason for that is because of the connection with the uh, guard there. And then the, Susan Shea, who's a uh, you know been in the aviation throughout the state. Tim Frankie used to work out there. So I had uh, uh, taken a long, hard look at who should be out there that had aviation experience moving in that direction. I'll continue to do that. But to the question, will mm-hmm. there be a litmus test? Will your appointee have to vote to replace Frank Valla as the airport authority chair. Well, that's uh, that will be uh, that would be my preference, but of course, whoever I appoint, you know, they have their own conscience. But I do want somebody that's not going to have a conflict of interest serving on the board. We got the lightning round coming up next. Oh, a good. few last uh, minute questions with some rapid fire answers from the mayor. Stay with us here. So, mayor, we're going to ask you to keep the uh, answers relatively <laughs> <try> brief, <laughs> uh, but we want to try to cover a lot of ground here in these last couple of minutes. Let's start with the fact that Governor J.B. Pritzker today announced we'll move to the bridge phase next week if we stay on contract with COVID numbers, full reopening phase five on June 11th. The city's got a mask requirement still in place right now. What becomes of that as we move into these new phases toward a full reopening? Well, we'll keep it in place uh, through the end of May. I'll probably have to assess it because we want the full reopening June 11th. All right. So, uh, but but for right now, no change in it. But is there a chance Correct. it could be changed when we get to, to full reopening? You wouldn't no longer make it a, a requirement? Correct. But don't be surprised if it uh, there's a resurrection next winter when typically flu and uh, possibly, God forbid, COVID season.
Uh, Alderman Gregory has talked about uh, an ordinance related to the Police Citizen uh, Review Commission where he would like to provide it with subpoena power to be able to do more independent investigation of allegations of police wrongdoing. I know we haven't seen that ordinance yet, but do you have any thoughts on that concept? Well, we've uh, put in place a very good group of individuals on the Police Review Commission, and uh, they are allowed to review documentation, so I'm not for subpoena power. Uh, with regards to that, because it takes it to a different realm. Well, um, but, you know, again, uh, if it's supposed to be independent, Mm -hmm. why not give them independent authority to do these investigations rather than just relying on what is already being done by the police department? Well, there's measures in place already to take a look at that type of authority. Uh, With the voluntary board, you're better off providing the information as much as possible, and then they can make their determination uh, based on video, uh, reports, and all of that. You wouldn't need subpoena power to do that. We have another new marijuana dispensary in Springfield, the uh, former movie theater uh, out of Parkway Point, uh, and they had indicated that they'd be interested in having an on-site consumption lounge. I know the Ascend Dispensary downtown had talked about that at one point, and we've already heard uh, at least one alderman uh, come out against that idea. What do you think about having on-site consumption lounges for marijuana downtown, west side, wherever it might be? Well, if done responsibly, I think that's what, where we're heading. Uh, you know, you have Uber and designated drivers, things of that nature, and really appreciate uh, the new uh, providers uh, having an adaptive reuse to uh, the theater. And it's my understanding that they may take it to uh, a different level of entertainment uh, associated with that, whether there be music, uh, but I'm not totally opposed to an on-site lounge. You uh, talked earlier about the uh, the fact that you had uh, let your economic development director go and that maybe that uh, had created some concern with the city council uh, at the last time we talked about it you said you were just handling those duties yourself is that still the case are you planning to replace val yazel and and hire a, a new dedicated economic development director well at some point i will uh, at this point we have a new employee from dceo that's come and uh, provided you know some additional uh, talents there. So uh, we're working together and, uh, you know, I'll probably restructure the department to the degree that I would like it moving forward in a proactive manner. And then uh, at some point bring in a new economic development director. Well, you say at some point, I mean, Mm -hmm. we're about to have a full reopening. This seems like the time to strike while the iron is hot. Mm -hmm. Are we running the risk of missing out on opportunities? We don't have somebody in that position at that moment. No, you know, we have individuals there that, you know, Abby Powell does a great job with the TIFs, Lisa Peterson with the Enterprise Zone and uh, Workforce Development and many others, uh, as well as the new individual. But uh, there's no uh, greater authority than having the mayor uh, firsthand saying, yes, we can do that. Or no, we can't. It will expedite processes. We're at the halfway point of your term, Mayor. Are, are you going to run for re-election? <laughs> well, what I've uh, went, right after I was re-elected, they asked me that, and I said, "Oh, yes, I will." And then it was like sharks in the water attacking <laughs> me. So I, at this point, we focus on what's in the best interest, getting things done. That's why it's important to keep in place the uh, you know spending. Uh, the way I would like, but the main thing is you always ramp up to run because you, and then you, if you decide not to run, that's fine. But it is too difficult to not run and then think you can and ramp it up. So you always intend to, and then you have that option of whether or not you want to. We're out of time, Mayor. As always, we appreciate it. Thank well, you. Thank you, Jim. Have a great day.